your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and I can't even say the words I was about to say, because all I'm thinking about now is that I really, really want an at-home popcorn maker, and my husband won't let me get one! And I know that, like, I shouldn't let him stop me from getting a industrial popcorn machine that would take up all of our counter space and I will never clean it and he is absolutely right when he tells me that I won't but I still want it I miss movie popcorn I miss Disney popcorn and I just kind of want it in the house all day every day I have a bunch of other contraptions but really you know nothing hits the same like that yellow popcorn you know what I'm talking about like like a like a basketball baseball game concession stand popcorn where you're like this surely is not butter but it doesn't even really look like it either what's happening here don't care i'm gonna eat it until i am ill that's what i'm craving and saying that intro makes me feel real sad for the fact that i haven't had movie theater popcorn in so long so with that being said uh happy thanksgiving or whatever (laughs) i'm not sure what we call this week now because it's definitely not a, a a normal thanksgiving but i hope you all have a a nice bunch of nothing planned days off really are in the same right now which is news to no one but I'm going to spend my quote unquote holiday, if we even want to call it that, just focusing on like streamlining my work from home process. I've made some strides. I'm getting there. I'm almost used to this lifestyle and I just need to like take it up a notch. I really need to like get my stuff together so that I can embrace however long I may be doing this. I'm going to try to do more face masks while I work. I'm going to stick to a new schedule. I even bought this desk attachment for my home exercise bike so I can, I don't know, take churro calls while pedaling like some sort of Jetsons era receptionist. Every year I do this thing where six weeks before New Year's, I start a resolution so that if I fail, nobody has to know. Oh, I just told you! Uh, well, <laughs> I beat myself in my own game. Oh no. <laughs> but either way, I just kept putting off accepting that I would be sitting at my desk all day, every day for at least a calendar year. And I need to accept that my desk will no longer be a queen bed in a Disney hotel room or just one of the benches on a people mover vehicle. But anyway, who cares about me? Because we have bigger things to discuss. This is a gigantic episode, everyone. We got the Biden drone show people talking on the record about drone stuff. Drone stuff. We got the sky high intersection of current events and themed entertainment. And I couldn't be more thrilled to share this all with you. I don't think any other podcast from a rudimental... I don't think any other podcast from a rudimentary Google search that I very quickly did before recording this anywhere got this interview. So color me very, very, very excited. You'll hear from the CEO of Verge Aero, who put on that show at Biden's Wilmington, Delaware acceptance speech event. We gab about his company, the work that they do, and all of the reasons why that aerial display looked so good. But we're also going to get into it about other stuff, like drones in general and their ties to theme park entertainment in the future. I'm so excited to tell you all about this, and I want to tell you all now, but this is not the point of the show where we do that. This is the intro into the news. So let's get to that, because oh my gosh, do I have a lot to say about everything that went down this week. Being 
as 2020 has made me fully lose my grip with reality, I now define my weeks by what's happening on Disney Twitter. So the past seven days were all Ratatouille the musical, which is so exciting. I'm so thrilled for Emily Jacobson, who we spoke to a couple weeks back, whose little rat song inspired by reading a story about Remy's Ratatouille adventure at Epcot is now being quoted by Disney and Disney on Broadway and Pixar. I know a lot of people joked on Twitter that it felt a little like dad was on the internet and getting in on the fun, but let's take a step back and realize that to have the official Disney on Broadway account tweet something you wrote and put on your own personal TikTok is unbelievably exciting to me. It's like the entire beginning of American Idol when someone could come out of nowhere and then be a star. That's what this is. I'm just so excited for her, and I'm so glad I was able to tell her story here on Very Amusing. I hate to report this bit of news, but as many of you have heard, Joe Rohde, famed Imagineer and designer, has announced that he's retiring from the Walt Disney Company. It's really hard news to take from a fan perspective. WDI has these iconic figures like Marty Sklar, who saw all six Disney parks open worldwide, and Tony Baxter, heralded for his work on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Splash Mountain, and Indiana Jones. And to see Another one so instrumental to so many of our favorite park experiences, leave the company, is heartbreaking. Much of what happens when Joe Rohde's name comes up is that people talk about the earring and the Eddie, but it's worth focusing once again on the fact that he truly pushed Disney in a direction that melds nature and art and design for detailed world building we now get to enjoy forever. Many Imagineers are credited with a ride, maybe a land, but Rhodey's vision is cemented within a whole park and an entire resort if you count Disney's Aulani in Hawaii. His approach to rooting these spaces in rich real-life detailing is why even if you have no idea what an avatar is, you can still visit Pandora and be wowed. I think I speak for many Disney fans when I say we are extremely bummed he won't be leaving the charge full-time anymore, but I cannot wait to see what he does. Also, I discussed this on Twitter, but can we leave Joe Rohde alone about the Yeti already? Can we let him retire in peace and focus on whatever cool, creative endeavor he'll pursue next? Yes, it's broken. It's been broken for a long, long time. But like I've said before, if your team can develop a ride so good that its main feature does not work, and yet it's still one of the best rides at Disney World, you've killed it. And for the record, it makes no sense to me that people keep shouting, the Yeti, it's broken, fix it, when the entire ride is riddled with hairbands. Many people on Twitter this week said it could be viewed as somewhat of an homage to how much trash is on actual Everest, but regardless of how you choose to view the hairbands, we have to stop this madness. Apparently, it's cleaned up often, and people just keep throwing them. Hair ties are expensive. Don't toss them aside. Preserve the integrity of this beautiful, beautiful ride and its disco strobe light Yeti. Now, I was going to get into this in my sci-fi column this week, but it was way too long already discussing all the roadie stuff and Thanksgiving season at the parks, so we're going to get into it here. Disneyland Resort announced they'd be selling Spider-Bots, the marquee souvenir toy of Avengers Campus this holiday season, first through a limited quantity presale for annual pass holders at Downtown Disney, November 30th to December 3rd, and then to the public beginning December 4th. This happens 
all the time for films, where toys and merchandise are put on the shelves long before we have any idea what Guinevere from Onward or a Porg is. But selling the main souvenir from a theme park land that's not yet open at a resort whose parks are also not yet open is distinctly different. To give you some background, Spider-Bots are battle-ready toys. Kind of similar to customizable droids sold at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, these Spider-Bots are at the center of Disney's Avengers Campus backstory, but more so built for play. The little spider-like robots can face off with one another, crawling backwards and forwards, emitting a little laser light to attack, with a fight culminating in one of their shields on the top of the Spider-Bot popping off. It's a really cool effect. They're customizable and themed to different Marvel characters, and in a way, it's the ideal gift for a household with multiple kids and plenty of time to battle Christmas morning. But I also view it as a bold notion that Disney's design ethos is just completely at odds with a global pandemic. Allow me to explain. Most of what you'll see within Avengers Campus, the forthcoming land that was set to open at Disney California Adventure this year, is a bit familiar. A massive Quinjet sits atop headquarters, Spider-Man does high-flying acrobatics, even the food is immediately recognizable for its ties to Ant-Man, as pin particles make meatballs and chicken cutlets comically large. Only Web, the Worldwide Engineering Brigade workshop home to Web Slingers, a Spider-Man attraction, is wholly unique to this land. It's here that Peter Parker has gathered the brightest minds to solve science, tech, and engineering problems, and create products to give regular old people like you and me superhero abilities. And one of these creations, Spider-Bots, are stuck in replication mode and must urgently be fixed. If the popular ride trope is, oh no, something went wrong and we must stop it, Spider-Bots are that something. Web Slingers is most well known for how it will allow riders to feel like they're really shooting webs out of their wrists, and Spider-Bots are that something they're shooting at. Devoid from the context of the land and a gift shop somewhat dedicated to these goods, they just don't make much sense. I completely understand why Disney is selling them, and do not disagree with that decision at all. All. A new cool toy that can bring Disney fans a bit of joy in a tragic year? Do it. Please. For me, as a reporter, it just signals to an issue that theme parks have spent years focused on in-world merchandise and these interactive toys that bring the theme park worlds home with you, and the pandemic has fully upended that. Disney launched Star Wars Galaxy's Edge with the perspective that Everything is only here and in-world, and you must come here to get your customized lightsaber, your build-your-own-droid. And now that doing so is somewhat of an impossibility, having items be special and exclusive doesn't work as well going forward. Take the merchandise array at Galaxy's Edge. Nothing explicitly says Star Wars. Toys are intended to appear handmade, and a creature stall is filled with take-home beasts that look and feel real. None of it matches the standard lineup of souvenirs you'd expect to be tied to such an iconic franchise. Much of the product line for Avengers Campus, similarly, isn't explicitly Marvel. Products have periodic table of elements, scientific references, there are take-home chemistry kits. I don't believe when I previewed it, I even saw Spider-Man's name written out once. It makes sense to sell these products wide, especially now, and it's actually a really cool choice. It's just fascinating to see an item so intrinsic to a land story and an attraction experience that won't debut for months, who knows, maybe even a year, before anyone can see how that piece fits within the bigger Avengers Campus puzzle. 
That's all for this week's news. Stick around to hear everything you've ever wanted to know about drones and drone shows. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. We are about to discuss all things drones with Nils Torjusen, the CEO of Verge Aero, whose drone light show at President-elect Biden's Wilmington, Delaware event captivated the nation. If you're like, ma'am, what does this have to do with theme parks? If you zoom out a bit, it kind of has everything to do with them. Just gauging the Disney community's reaction to that display and how wowed they were, it's the gradual next step in the future of themed entertainment. Think about what a traditional nighttime show has been now. Water screens, projection mapping, fireworks, pyro lasers. It's just natural that things will progress to a point like this and include drones going forward. Drones have been used at the theme parks before, but so far it's been somewhat minimal. The most noteworthy usage was Starbright Holidays, a collaboration with Intel in winter 2016 at Disney Springs, as well as The Dark Arts at Hogwarts Castle, a show at Universal Studios Hollywood with drones that created Harry's Patronus set against a night sky. Intel, who has kind of been the leader in the field, did both of those displays. Their shooting star drone is the one used at Disney Springs, the one used at Hogwarts Castle, but it's also the one used at big displays like the Super Bowl. So basically, more likely than not, whatever you picture when I say the word drone show, it's probably this Intel one. In this interview, Nils will also reference a Time Magazine cover from May 2018. It's when their entire cover, logo, border, everything, was made through an aerial display by... Intel's shooting star drones, so they're pretty big. Verge Aero, however, has developed their own drone that's more befitting for nighttime entertainment. It's brighter, it's faster, it lasts longer, and in tandem with their in-house software, it just works really well. Essentially, these drones and the program that powers them was created specifically to make nighttime displays, like the one at President-elect Biden's acceptance speech, cheaper, easier, and safer. Also, their drones don't crash because the software is so good. And instead of having multiple systems, it's all in one because they created it themselves. Basically, if Disney hasn't called these guys already, they should. Verge Aero has had much success with large-scale drone shows and high-profile clients like the Philadelphia Eagles and AT&T, but it's the massive display of patriotic symbols put forward on November 9th that was perhaps the most noteworthy, not just for the designs, but for everything that infirbly went into pulling that show off. When Torreson and I spoke, he was unable to answer some specific questions about the Biden show for obvious reasons. But since we've spoke, there's a bit more information I can now work with. The show utilized 200 drones working together with Strictly FX, a pyrotechnic company, for the multifaceted display. Drone operators like Vergero need FAA clearance to do what they do anyway. But this was different. We're talking a matter of national security. And with only a few weeks to put the show together, they were able to clear all governmental permissions to pull off the show, which is no easy task. They also 
keep in mind, did not know when the show would be, having staff on standby from Tuesday to Saturday night. Thankfully, developing software with increased flexibility made them the ideal choice for an aerial display this iconic and somewhat unpredictable. Which brings me to my other little surprise, which is that this episode is dropping at the same time as my story for TechCrunch. So if you're really into this design tech space and want to learn even more about Verge Aero and what went into this Biden show, my piece is live over on their website and geared more towards those deep drone details. Either way, as you'll hear, the process of developing one's own drone in-house, customized to what you need, is super interesting and weirdly kind of like test track. Your car can be speedier or more eco-friendly, but you have to pick and choose what you want and just hope it outperforms the person sitting next to you. Still, beyond just the Biden display, it's incredible to see this form of nighttime entertainment take the main stage at such a historic event. After a week numbed by Maricopa County tallies and Pennsylvania projections, mail-in ballot tallying and Steve Kornacki's khakis, there was one moment that stood out above all else, that bombastic sky-high display and Biden's reaction to how good it was. And I cannot wait to give you more insight into how those things are created. In this recording, you will hear a few notification noises. But hey, Torreson's a busy guy. So don't worry, it's not your boss emailing you. It's just our interview. So with that, here's Nils Thorusen of Verge Arrow telling us everything we've ever wanted to know about drones. I would just love to know more about your company because you do things so differently than we like theme park themed entertainment people are used to. We're pretty used to the Intel stuff and the shows that we've seen on property at theme parks. But what your company does is above and beyond what we're used to. So it's really exciting to be able to ask you some stuff about it. Yeah, no problem. And thank you so much. Of course. I find it really interesting that you use your own in-house design studio program. And uh, I saw that you, I believe, build your drones in-house. Correct. And that's simply because we couldn't go out and buy what we needed. There actually are now some people selling, you know, drone show drones, okay, that none of them meet our requirements. And, you know, we've invested in some of the technology to make it super reliable particularly with regards to communication. So that necessitated us making our own drone. I was so surprised to see that chart on your website that compares and contrasts your drones with Intel drones and to see how far yours push the boundaries. I mean, it said 15 minutes, 25 mile per hour wind tolerance, 14 mile per hour drone max speed. How were you able to develop these drones that just push beyond what the limitations were? Our drone is also heavier than what Intel did, okay? You know, it has its pluses and minuses. It makes more stable in wind, and we have a, a bigger battery, which gives us more life. But the downside is it's heavier, you know, and all else equal, you want your drone to be as light as possible. So it's all about trade-offs and balancing different things. But what we were most interested in doing in the beginning was just developing a workhorse that could do a lot of different things reliably. And, you know, I think over the longer term, you will see the drone market evolve so that you've got, you know, much like the automotive industry, you know, you've got pickup trucks and you've got sports cars and you've got sedans or whatever, right? And I think it's the same thing here. We've built sort of like a SUV pickup truck type vehicle and, and there'll be definitely need for more nimble drones and bigger drones that can carry more payload, all depending on what you want to do. I think probably the, um, 
the thing that is most surprising generally is that uh, you wouldn't think it would be that hard to do this, but it is, it is a lot harder than it seems at first glance. And we, we started off on a one-year R&D effort, which became a three-year R&D effort, right? Because uh, it was like peeling the onion. Um, but I said to my awesome engineering team from the very beginning that, you know, we're going to get this right from the beginning, do it from first principles, and actually create a proper infrastructure to do everything that we want to do or anticipate wanting to do so that we don't get started and then kind of hit a roadblock because, you know, we can't support whatever the designers want to do. I think what I found was interesting, which many theme park people would agree with, is that your designs were so intricate and so clear. And is is that how how are you so good at that? <laughs> because every shape, every word that you've put up and I've seen multiple of your shows online, everything is crystal clear and looks, I would have to assume, exactly the way you designed it in your software. Yeah. I mean, if you look at our, I think actually maybe we have some videos online on our website that show renderings and like renderings are identical pretty much, you know, to what you get in real life. Um, and we made two significant um, design decisions up front. One, we focused on high accuracy in terms of positioning. And then the other change we made was having a lot of light output. And when you have those two things, then you can do shows with fewer drones because you have more precision, right? And if you look back at some of the early Intel stuff, they're, because their drones weren't that bright and because their drones, at least initially, weren't that good at holding position, you know, and that's nothing against Intel. They've done amazing work, right? But this technology has been evolving. And you look at things like the Time Magazine cover, you know, which was this iconic image that they did, but they're sort of filling volumes of space. But if you have bright drones and they hold their position, then you can just draw a line, for example, right? So that uh, enables what you just described. And I saw on your website that it says you can do 500 plus drones in one performance, but I also saw that you wrote on Medium that that many aren't really required. So for a large scale display, like something we saw, how many drones are usually required for something like that? Is it Does it push the boundary to 500 plus? 500 plus is no magic number. I mean, that's just our... Uh... <laughs> One of my guys, just as he was in marketing mode, he was like 500 plus and millions viewed and all this kind of stuff, right? So that's kind of where that comes from. Um, honestly, there's our, our, our architecture has been designed so it's infinitely scalable, okay? So um, we can do thousands and we will do thousands, but that's not where we're really focused at the moment. I mean, there's some amazing stuff coming out of China, you know, where they're setting new records and 3,000 drones with some, you know, very intricate drone displays and things. And, um, and that's super cool and super impressive. But the, I think in terms of, you know, the market, you know, the reality is like 150 to 300 drones-ish, you know, covers 90 plus percent of, you know, what people need to do. And, and because each drone is, is a pixel, um, really the number of drones you need usually is driven by, you know, the content that uh, needs to be displayed. But, you know, there are a lot of things that can be done to um, make things look good with fewer numbers of pixels. You know, for example, the American flag that we've done, um, I think that was 176, you know, pixels. And, you know, it still looked good, right? Um, all depending on- Looked very good. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. This stuff is so excellent. I would just be riding a high if I was you. 
well, no, we're super, you know, our business is doing really well at the moment. We did uh, in the first, uh, starting the 2nd of November, over nine days, we did five shows in three countries, you know, which I just think is amazing. This so, November? Oh, really, really busy. Sorry? This November? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the 2nd to the 11th. What are the other shows you did? We did two in Mexico. We did one in uh, Germany for the Xbox launch, and we did one in uh, New York City. Has business changed at all for you? Because in the pandemic, you know, something like this is a bit pandemic friendly. It's not something you have to be in a closed indoor tight space with people. You can really space out social distance and still enjoy what you're putting forward. Well, it's interesting. I mean, um, what we're seeing is that uh, a lot of brands want something that's unique and different. So we've done launches for uh, AMT, for Deutsche Telekom, for Xbox, for some other brands, and they're flying things to generate you know, content for social media and whatnot, and not inviting anybody to, to view it, because um, they can't. And it's a bit ironic because I actually think you know, drone shows and, and firework shows to some extent are perfect for pandemic viewing because there's no real advantage to being in the front row. You know, you can spread out. Um, you know, you can actually entertain many people, you know, over a, a large amount of space and have a, have a good outcome. But people are very nervous from a liability point of view and they don't want to gather people. And so there's a lot of nervousness around that that I think has, has limited, you know, a lot of things from, from happening. But you know, our, our, you know, we were really focused on entertainment. Um, and of course, in the, in the spring, you know, our business went to zero <laughs> over the span of about a week. You know, everything got canceled, 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 canceled. So we had a few grim months. But then starting in the summer, things started picking up and it's been, you know, going reasonably well ever since. Fantastic. How many times do you usually test a show before it's presented to an audience? Um, usually zero. Is that nerve wracking <laughs> or do you trust the software? <laughs> Our system is really reliable and it's truly what you see is what you get. And so it's tested enough now that we feel totally comfortable flying shows without a rehearsal. Okay. Depends on what it is. I mean, um, sometimes we might just do a test flight uh, just to make sure there are no anomalies in that airspace. Um, but, you know, doing a full dress rehearsal before the show is definitely the exception rather than the rule at this point. I was surprised that you're able to keep, you know, a high profile display like the one you did recently under wraps. And that would explain that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hello, it's Future Carly cutting in to tell you that we chopped out the section where I asked him specific questions about the Biden drone show and he shut me down real good. <laughs> the power of an NDA that's tied to the government, guys. So the next portion of the interview starts a little bit abruptly, but it's just because I don't want you to, to see me be told no multiple times in a row. Rightfully so, because, you know, you got to You got to ask the questions. You got to do your best. So hope you enjoy. Entertainment's a funny beast, right? So theme park is kind of like, and themed entertainment's kind of like the exception because it's more architectural. You know, it's very planned and structured. Right? Uh, entertainment otherwise often is complete chaos, last minute requests, you know, people call three days before the gig and we need drones or whatever, right? So um, for better or worse, 
a lot of our work is in highly unstructured changing environments. So we're kind of used to rolling with the punches. And, you know, my background, I, I did two startups previously in entertainment, one in doing control systems, another with LED video. And so, so I was very aware of how the business works and what people need. And the reason it took us so long to get to where we are today, just in terms of development, is we wanted to create this toolkit for the designers that I'm used to working with so that they can operate the way they want to, okay? And so one piece of that is being able to deploy quickly and to make changes quickly and on the fly uh, so that uh, you can match the needs of the production as they evolve. Wow, it's it's incredible you're able to be that nimble, especially when you're building something so big where if there's a mistake, everyone's going to see it. <laughs> you can't just like hide right. it on stage and, behind a curtain. <laughs> no, for sure. And that, that really speaks to the tools that have been developed by my software team. I mean, you know, they've done amazing work and it truly is WYSIWYG. You know, what you see is what you get. The render that comes out of the software engine is exactly what you get when you fly. How do you coordinate or do you coordinate the show differently if there are fireworks involved? Because I think this was the first time I've seen both a drone display and fireworks simultaneously. Uh, you can see on our website, we did something for this guy called Mr. Beast, who's a YouTube phenomenon, and he blew up a bunch of fireworks. And we actually flew close to some of his, uh, some of his fireworks, and that was kind of interesting. So um, we've dabbled with fireworks before, and I think... More generally, the, the, the most effective shows are going to be the ones that include multiple visual elements, okay? Just doing drones uh, ultimately will be boring. I mean, I think actually there are a lot of boring shows already. If you just do what I call marching band content, you do logo A to logo B to logo C, right? It, it's not so interesting over time. And... And I think, you know, drones are just one tool in the arsenal of people putting on productions, right? So drones plus fireworks plus lasers plus, you know, audio plus, you know, whatever else you got, right? I mean, the more elements, the more compelling a show will be. When you're working for a client, how does your design process differ? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on the client and what they want to achieve, right? Some, like we've been presented with very specific storyboards, okay? We want this and then that and then da 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 and we've also worked with people who have no idea what they want. They just want to do something interesting. They have an event, uh, something they want to celebrate or whatever. And then we work together with them to try and flesh it out and kind of figure out what, what might work for that situation. So it's, it's highly, highly variable. But, you know, again, our focus on the tools really is around giving people options and being able to respond flexibly. And, and I think that's one of the things that, differentiates our work from what's out there otherwise is that people are kind of piecing together various third-party tools and and then creating a drone show out of that but uh you have much less flexibility as a result are you able to discuss any factor of the time frame when it came to doing the show in wilmington there are people involved who are very careful about what's released into the media and as a result i have been asked to not comment on the show specifically. You know, it's, there are a lot of challenges. Uh, there were a lot of challenges with that show. I'll yeah. Just kind of I have to imagine even on a security level, something like flying a fleet of drones to do a show, it's something like that when you know that it's the tightest place security-wise in the entire country, perhaps world, must have been an accomplishment. 
Like I said, there are lots of challenges. (laughs) (laughs) I think you can answer this one, but do you usually get to see the honoree themselves be wowed by your work? Because I'm not sure if, you know, I know you've said you've done stuff for Coldplay, I believe it was. Like, I don't know if you've seen Chris Martin be thrilled with the display that's in the sky, but is it is it just nice to see to see your work so well received? Well, for sure. I mean, it's an incredible validation. And I mean, I can certainly talk about Mr. or President-elect Biden's reaction, you know, which the whole world saw. And I mean, I think that's part of what made that a special moment, right? I mean, that was pretty, that was pretty cool. And, and, you know, that's not usual to see that. Although there've been, you know, plenty of artists who I've worked with in the past and, you know, doing other technologies and stuff who've been very excited about what we've been able to do for them. And some of it's been really groundbreaking and, and they've been, you know, quite thankful, right? So, I mean, that's, that's all these things, just like any other field, it's nice validation of, of one's work, for sure. We did this um, thank you show for um, medical healthcare workers back in April when we were sitting around with like absolutely nothing to do because the whole world had imploded. And we just thought, well, what's something positive we can do? So let's fly a, a thank you show, which we did at the University of Pennsylvania for the, the hospitals there. And uh, a, a, a great friend of ours, Nick Lang, um, made a video of it that's on our, our website. And you know what? You know it went viral, and people had some you know hand recorded on phone videos that went viral on Facebook. You know, with like hundreds of thousands of posts or, or you know um, uh, reposts or you know whatever uh, and shares. That's the word I was looking for. Um, <laughs> Uh, and maybe even over a million, I can't remember, but it just, you know, it went viral. But the, the reason those videos went viral and were so popular is because you see, you know, you see the reaction, you see the human element. And I think it makes, it makes that video content really compelling um, and much more compelling than just seeing a bunch of dots in the sky without context. How many people sent you the meme of President-elect Biden just being overjoyed with something next to him that wasn't your show? Yeah, needless to say, my phone exploded. (laughs) (laughs) The show was over. It's not every day that your work makes someone so important so happy that it becomes a national phenomenon. (laughs) That is very true. Is there... Is there anything else that I should know about your work? I, mean, I don't know that I have anything to add other than, you know, we think that um, drone technology is really interesting and compelling and that there's a lot of cool stuff that can be done with it, you know? And, and people like Intel have uh, been leading the charge originally and done a lot of interesting work. And now there's just more tools available. And you put these tools in the hands of creative individuals and awesome things happen, right? And, and, and this tool is just another one that will be used by people who do concerts and theme parks and all kinds of other entertainment events around the world. And we'll see what happens. Anyone who's uttered the words Genie Plus knows firsthand that vacations require time, money, planning, energy. And if you put all that effort into enjoying your trip already, why not extend the highlights of that getaway into your everyday with FrameBridge? 
Put that vintage Epcot ticket up in your office and give it a little personality. Surprise your kid with their favorite character's autograph immortalized on the wall of their room. Framebridge makes it so easy and affordable to custom frame any photo, park map, or even cocktail napkin from a theme park hotel bar in just minutes. You can mock up exactly what it'll look like on their website before you even spend a dime. Things ship fast and they ship for free, and their colorful custom framing means they'll not only help you plan your gallery wall, but make sure your place looks cooler than the interiors of that mid-century modern home within Spaceship Earth. I love the mementos I framed with Framebridge so much that I rearranged my entire office so I can enjoy them daily. This is not a bit. This is this is true life. They're the backdrop to my podcast Zoom interviews, my Instagram stories, and even the goofy photos we take of Pearl tip-tapping away at my keyboard like she's a miniature employee. Too often, our favorite memories of a vacation are tucked inside our phone or shoved within a drawer. And it thrills me to no end that because of Framebridge, I can finally be surrounded by my memories. Framebridge makes custom framing easy, affordable, and enjoyable. And on top of that, their happiness guarantee ensures that no matter what, you'll wind up with something you love. To get started, head to FrameBridge.com, because your precious travel memories shouldn't have to stay in the past. That's FrameBridge.com. Hello! Just wanted to let you know up top that these first few calls are follow-up calls to some things we've talked about in past weeks. Even if you haven't listened to all the podcasts, you'll be fine. And if you heard a teeny tiny little pop in the background a moment ago, that was from <laughs> my new Bath and Body Works candle, which I have been screaming about on Instagram because my hobby now is buying candles. Sure. But my candle the other day burped. It just went like, and it did that on the recording. So if you heard it, that's what it was burping in real time. Okay, let's get to these call and responses. Harley, this is Jeremy from Orlando. Hope you are well. Hey, uh, was, I'm literally in the middle of your podcast and I listened to the call about the wishes, uh, girl, uh, singer. And I had to stop and call because I actually trained this girl at the great movie ride back in like 2006 ish, somewhere in there. Um, yeah. And it was funny because she came in and she said, Oh yeah, I actually did the voice the singing for wishes and all of us are like, get out of town. That's not true. And then she sang it and we're like, Oh, it does really sound like you. And then, uh, somebody went and got the CD and sure enough, her name was on that. And we were all forced to eat a little bit of humble pie. Um, so yeah, uh, not a make a wish kid. Uh, not even, I, I wouldn't even say a child, uh, you know, wishes came out in what? 2004, somewhere in there. Uh, 2003, uh, and I, she was probably 20, 19, something that, like that, uh, when I trained her in 2006. So, uh, teen probably when she recorded it. Uh, but, but yeah, but it had a very childlike voice. Uh, and that was like apparently the reason why she was chosen. So, uh, don't know if this will make it to the pod, but, uh, just thought I would call and give you some, uh, extra information. 
Now this is the type of intel I am looking for. Oh my goodness. I did not know a real Disney celebrity was working in the parks. Thank you so much for bringing this to my attention and for calling the Churros hotline. We also got one other call this week that was similarly exciting, which answers one of our call-in questions maybe three or four weeks ago. Either way, no matter what, as long as you've been on Spaceship Earth, you will enjoy this call. Hey, Carly. I'm here to talk about Newspaper Boy from Spaceship Earth. I was inspired by the call you got from a listener who's terrified of him because maybe he's disfigured. And this is something that I had heard before. So I was looking into it, and it's unverified, but seems very likely that this animatronic was damaged during a, uh, you know, roughly 2007 refurb of Spaceship Earth, and that he was turned around because he was damaged, and they didn't want to bother fixing his face. A lot of people say that maybe he was turned around because it makes more sense for him to be selling newspaper towards the street rather than at the ride vehicles. Also, some rumors about people grabbing newspaper out of his hands, but maybe that is just an elaboration on the people grabbing the apple out of the old tag animatronic on Snow White, um, you know, thing that happens. Um, but it it makes more sense for him to have been turned around because he got damaged because you know, the reasoning behind turning around a fully functioning animatronic with, like, a fully formed face and, you know, functioning face doesn't make sense. If an animatronic is working, you would want to be showing it to the guests. So why otherwise would he be turned around if he had not been damaged is my question. Um, slash comment. So I believe that he probably was damaged and that those rumors are true. Uh, there, There's legend of a photo of his image space, but I was not able to find it. So I just think that that uh, listener has valid concern to be freaked out by the newspaper boy animatronic on Space Birth. Uh, thanks for all that you do. Love the pod. Talk to you later. I always kind of live my life in anticipation of riding Spaceship Earth again, but now I really cannot wait to get back on that ride and just Give Newspaper Boy a real good glance. Just turn over my shoulder and try to see if I can see the other side of his face. Because now I want this mystery to be solved. Oh my gosh, thank you so much to the caller who called that in. Wow, 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 wow. Carly, you've done it again. Such a great episode. And I want to add to the um, Disney treat talk that, yes, the cookies in the case are completely trash you know they really get you on the looks and they look so fluffy and round and gooey and you're like you know what why not get one and try it out wrong do not get them you guys they suck okay bye there is really no better feeling in the world than knowing someone agrees with you and to have you by my side on this cookie conundrum really means everything. I played this call because it leads into the next one and caller, you're going to be very excited by the news you hear. Hi Carly, just finished listening to today's podcast or this week's podcast and one, I need to know what is blue food? Like, I know you're talking about, like, blue-colored food, but, like, I'm trying to embrace my memory, and I'm not really familiar other than, like, blue cotton candy. 
but I know you said you don't eat blue food, so please elaborate. And my heart absolute breaks that you said that you don't like the birthday cake scone. I was just there this past weekend in Disney World, and they got rid of it um, at the confectionery, and I wanted to cry. I cannot believe you don't like it, but I do agree the cookies are absolute trash. Hallelujah! The birthday cake scone is gone! I am so sorry that you almost cried on your vacation, (laughs) but yes, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. The thing is, these Disney sweets could be perfect. They could be at the level of all the other fantastic desserts at a Disney park, but the cookies are garbage! And it doesn't make sense because Disney knows good cookies. They're putting a Gideon's cookies in Disney Springs, they know what's up. And yet the cookies sold in the park are not the cookie that you want when you are on a vacation and you are indulging in a very hefty, fun cookie. So hopefully that means they'll be changing soon if the scones are gone, because those were the most egregious ones to me. Even though it's not a cookie, it was still, oh my God, it was so crumbly. Get it out of here. Now, to address the main thing you called about, There are so many blue foods and you don't really notice them until you're there and start to realize, wow, I could really be eating a lot of food dye if I wanted to. I mean, we got cupcakes, we got blue milk, which I don't drink for other reasons because I think it's never good, but we got that, uh, that orb thing in Pandora, the dessert. We got occasional blue soft serve at the Magic Kingdom. We also, at Disney California Adventure, have that Pixar Pier Frosty Parfait that's lemon Dole Whip with, like, blue raspberry juice, which I just get the lemon Dole Whip. I don't want the juice. Haunted Mansion desserts are often kind of blue. A few years ago, they sold blue sparkling wine. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. I promise. A lot of desserts, a lot of seasonal foods, things like that, they have blue dye in them. And... More often than not, those are the foods that'll just knock me out. It'll just push me past my limit of sugar intake, and I will just have to go to bed. (laughs) Oh, and alcohol. They're even selling, like, a blue Cosmo at the L'Chaim Holiday Kitchen at Epcot's International Festival of Holidays this year. Did not think I would be saying L'Chaim on the podcast, but here we are. Uh, That festival starts next week, but, I mean... You got to keep in mind, everything is Christmas. Every single thing is Christmas. This is our one festival kitchen as Jewish people. It's all we got. This little takeout, tiny, fake-themed deli. And they're selling latkes. They're selling sukkot And it has a blue cocktail. Come on. My least fave surrounded by my faves. Either way, if you do wind up there, if you are at Epcot during this festival season, just spend that money on extra black and white cookies. You'll thank me later. Hi, Carly. This is Stacy, and I just wanted to call and tell you that I'm really enjoying your podcast. It's such a lovely thing that's happening in a world of not-so-lovely things. Um, but I'm curious, though, uh, myself as a costume designer who has as much fun seeing the cast members' costumes and uniforms as much as anything else in the park, I need to know which cast member costume you think is the best or if you have like a top three ranking or something i'd love to hear your thoughts but uh anyway thanks again for such great content and i can't wait for future episodes bye thank you for this call i have so many thoughts about costumes which i cannot wait to share with you the first one i want to shout out are the disneyland vip tour guide costumes that are directly inspired by the original 
VIP tour outfits. I've only seen them wear it, I believe, during colder months on a group tour. I think maybe like a seasonal guided tour at the park. But sometimes these guides wear little felt hats that harken back to the day when the program debuted, and they're so cute. They're so vintage, so cute. I can't get enough of them. I have a lot of things to say about costumes, so I figured I would make it as easy as possible on you by ranking them. So, in third place, we have Indiana Jones Adventure at Disneyland. That big brown hat and that brown skirt is totally my vibe and something that I personally would wear in my everyday life. In second place, it's a small world, also at Disneyland. Those little boater hats are so cute! I realize a lot of my choices are guided by hats, but... They're cute. They're cute hats. So I'm going to give it to them. I distinctly remember sitting in one of the boats one day and looking up at the person controlling the ride and being like, wow, I would wear the heck out of that outfit. And in first place, a bit of a surprise. I'm handing it over to custodial. I know it's not a ride, but the rich maroon color of those sweatshirts they wear are Oh my god, I am obsessed with them. They have this little icon of Mickey Mouse pushing a broom, and there's also a matching hat they can wear, and I want one so badly. I've checked eBay so many times, and I've never found them on there. But even I don't like to break rules. I would never wear it to the park. I just think it's a ideal Disney costume. It's super cute, super wearable in real life, and I would love to bum around my house in a custodial sweatshirt because they're incredible and classic, and I love them. Every time I see someone in custodial with that layer on, I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous. I have considered getting a custodial job just to have the sweatshirt, but then I realized that I'd have to quit, and then I'd have to like steal the costume, and that is not good, and I don't want to do that, so it's a whole thing. So those are my top three, but there is one honorable mention. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, exclusively because of the poncho. If you've been to the parks on a rainy day, you know what I'm talking about. It is a camouflage poncho inspired by the one Princess Leia wears in the films, and it is banging. I would buy that in a heartbeat. It is so good and so perfect for Florida weather. Like, it's rare that a piece of costuming is so special and tied to the movie and ideal for that climate. So uh, anybody who works in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge who has worn the poncho, please let me know how it feels to be truly living your best life. I want to know what it feels like to feel that cool. Okay, those are my favorite costumes. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
our show. Thank you all so much for listening. You can check out more about Verge Arrow and the Biden drone show in my story for TechCrunch or at their website, which is linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for all the wonderful calls on the 747 Churros hotline. I have some really good stuff to investigate for next week. So stay tuned. You can find us wherever podcasts are sold. Just kidding. They're free. Isn't that wild? Or on Apple Podcasts where you can leave a rating. And subscribe to get episodes the second they come out. And even, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, leave a little review. If you've never done it, it's fun. And I'm told I should say this at the end of every episode. So why not try something new in quarantine? Hmm? Thank you so much to recent reviewers Maggie May, Tasha Bear, Katie Marie 48 Reviewer 101019, Seriously1234, SJC81, and LaxLover21, who asked me to bring back my mom and Paul Shear often. One of those is way easier than the other, unfortunately, but I'll see if my mom can fit me into her busy schedule. (laughs) Every single one of those reviews, by the way, has an exclamation point, which means I've found my people and I am very excited about it. Follow me on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Carly Wiesel, or join the Fomaly family in my Facebook group. And if you're itching to make quarantine a little less boring, join my Patreon for five bucks a month or like, I think it's 50 bucks annually because you get a discount. You'll get a weekly Q&A blog post, bonus podcast minisodes and a zine newsletter at the end of every month, which is coming up soon. So get amped. Also, last week's Q&A answered some really good questions and so will this week's. So tuck in and get ready for a good old time. Special thank you to our most recent signups, Elizabeth, Chesney, Chris, Nikki, and Rochelle. I feel guilty not reading every single person's name, but I also don't want to bore you, so I'll leave it at that for now. But to all of you who just joined the party, thank you. Very Amusing is edited carefully by Jeff Fox. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon. sweetheart it's mom i just want to say it was another great week the callers were so good i don't know what that is but i want my house to smell like the grand floridian so we have to look into that i have to tell you i love that aj wolf i it's late at night and i like to listen to this when dad is asleep and i can really like listen and absorb and love it and i'm listening to her talk about plastic cheese which i love hot plastic cheese and she was talking about barbecue pork with cheese and nachos with cheese. And you talked about macaroni and cheese. I am starving. It's like 1.30 in the morning and all I want is cheese right now. Very, very good episode, but I should have probably listened to it before dinner. Anyway, um, I did learn something else, too, that if you want something on the menu, you can buy it for a dollar, like cheese. I'm very excited about that. I'm going to be buying things everywhere if it's on the menu. All right, sweetie, I'm going to sleep. Great episode. I love you, and I can't wait for the big week next week. Talk to you soon.